Welcome to the latest edition of Second City Sports Zoom Style. Zoom Style. <laughs> Along with my co-host, creator, and founder of Second City Sports Radio Program and Podcast, Ms. Lakina McGee, I am Sydney Brown. You can follow yours truly on Twitter and Instagram at SidKid80. Once again, at SidKid80. That's S-I-D-K-I-D-8-0. That's S-I-D-K-I-D-8-0. You can listen to this program along with our other programming from We Are Regal Radio. Wherever you download this, download the podcast. We on iHeartRadio. Download that iHeartRadio app. Just type in War on Anchor. That's W-A-R-R on Anchor. And you can find this lovely program, Second City Sports, along with our other programming as well, including the Dean Davis Show, a.k.a. The Davis Show, and in the scope of Josh Hicks and other programming from We Are Regal Radio. And also, you can follow us on YouTube. So tell your friends, subscribe. Um, all the all the episodes of since we've been doing this are on there. So make sure you tell your friends. And you can follow me at Keena McGee on Twitter at Keena underscore McGee on the Instagram. Our top story for this week is uh, it's been a tough week for the uh, passing of sports figures and celebrities. We're going to start off with legendary basketball Hall of Fame college head coach, Mr. John Thompson, who passed away at the age of 78 on Sunday. He had coached the college, famous college basketball team, the Georgetown Hoyas, from 1972 to 1999. He had 594 career wins. He had three trips to the Final Four, won his only national title in 1984 with Patrick Ewing at the helm. He, he was the first African-American head coach to win a national title in basketball. Lakina, from the stories uh, that I've been hearing over the past uh, few hours and some of the stuff we know because we're the age that grew up watching him and watching his team, he cared not only about his players on the court but off the court as well. And we'll go through some of the names over the years that, uh, that made an impact in the NBA. But this was a person that demanded respect. If you respected him, he respected you right back. And also, he was a former NBA player, which I didn't know. He won two titles with the Boston Celtics. Yep, he played, yeah, with teammates with Bill Russell. He played for Red Auerbach. I don't think a lot of people, I mean, I knew, but I'm, I'm sure I, I understand. Well, you didn't, I think a lot of people didn't know that part. But uh, when he got the job in 1972, there were no black coaches. And if you remember, I remember, I forgot the, who was uh, the president for Georgetown at the time. You know, he took that chance. And he, he had gotten some resistance from some of the boosters at Georgetown. You know, why are you bringing in? Not only that he didn't have a lot of, you know, bas he, he had coached high school for years, but, you know, African-American, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of African-American minority coaches at the time. Mm -hmm. So when he got the job, he kind of sort of, you know, kind of trailblazed sort of that, that era in the eight, as it got into the 80s in the Big East, especially. When you listen to, you know, I heard um, Jim Calhoun. I know he's, he had a tough week. I mean, losing not only John Tassa, who was also not only an adversary, but also they became good friends, but also, you know, Cliff Robinson. We'll, we'll talk about him in a little bit. Who, who he coached when he was at UConn. But, uh, I mean, you, 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 you look at what, you know, John Thompson did, you know, to get, you know, went to, went to three Final Fours, won a national championship, was Biggie's Coach of the Year three times. And, 
you know, it, it's sort of one of those things where you sort of like, he wasn't just a coach, like you said, he was a trailblazer. I would implore folks to listen to Allen Iverson's Hall of Fame speech, like right near the end. It's like about a little over a minute, but his mom begged Coach Thompson to recruit him because his, you know, unfortunately, you know, by, by that point, he had gotten into some trouble. It's, it was well documented. You saw his, um, sort you know his uh 30 for 30 you knew sort of like you know the the legal issues that he had went through mm -hmm. and you know his his mom begged coach thompson to recruit her son and he basically essentially said that coach thompson saved his life because lord knows what would have happened had he had not reached out and had not took a chance on him and recruited him and we all know what happened after that um, some of the players that he had coached, I mean, Patrick Ewing, I can only imagine what he's going through right now, who is now, who's now the head coach at Georgetown. Alonzo Morning, Dikembe Mutombo, uh, Freddie Brown, um, Eric Sleepy mm -hmm. Floyd. I mean, just so among so many, you know, great players that ended up doing very well in the NBA. And I can only imagine what they're going through. And also all the, the coaches that he had, you know, coached against. I mean, Gary Williams, he was at both Boston College and at Maryland. Um, I talked I talked about Jim Calhoun, also Jim Bayheim. I can only imagine what he's going through too. And I'm sure they'll all say that look, we did not like each other, but they were all really good friends. So I can only imagine what they're they're feeling right now. Mm -hmm. Also, let's not forget David Wingate and Reggie Williams as well, both of them coming out of the Baltimore area, that both those players made big impacts in the NBA as well. Uh, going back to John Thompson as the head coach, you referred to the Allen Iverson Hall of Fame speech. Please, folks, watch it uh, when you get a chance. But many of these coaches uh, are father figures, especially to uh, young African-American males from the African-American community because, let's be honest here, not to go too off of attention, but many of, uh, including yours truly grew up, 80% uh, uh, of our population grew up in a single family home. So uh, most of the structures that come from a strong black male figure comes from sports. Of course, it can come from other areas as well, but we're focusing on sports. And that's what Coach John Thompson was. He was a strong father figure to me of these athletes who didn't come from homes that had fathers in the home. They didn't have them at all. They were in and out because whatever situations that, um, they, that they were in. Now, I, I want to focus in also as well. Uh, we all know that the Big East Conference, well, all these different teams are different today in 2020. But back then, ESPN would not be the network that it is, especially for college basketball, if it wasn't for the Big East. Another program I would recommend for people, especially for our young viewers and listeners, that is the 30 for 30 Requiem of the Big East. That's what really got college basketball on the map on cable television because it wasn't like that back then. It was when cable television was new. Let's be honest, Big Monday wouldn't be Big Monday today without ESPN putting those big, those games from the Big East on you. As you mentioned, you had Gary Williams who coached Maryland later, but you had Syracuse, you had St. John's, of course, Georgetown, and you had those other programs that I'm losing memory right now that, that made the Big East what it is today, even though it looks totally different thanks to realignment for college football. But those Games were intense. Those teams were intense. Let's be honest here, Lakina. Coach Thompson had his critics, too, because they played the East Coast hard-nosed style basketball. And let's be honest here, not all, let me repeat again, not all, but some folks 
who didn't like him because of his skin color, they had reason to attack him because, oh, you played the game the wrong way. Oh, this is too physical. You all oh, guys are a bunch of thugs. So they, unfortunately, they gave those uh, people uh, reason to criticize him. But at the end, as you mentioned, like, in his accomplishments, uh, Trump case, any uh, unfair criticism that came up along his way, especially due to his skin color. Well, and like you said, Sid, I mean, you, you reiterated too. I mean, it, it's sort of one of those those aspects of it that I think people don't realize. Um, I had a friend of mine say that, well, he thought Georgetown was HBCU school because all most of the, most of the years he was there, a lot of the coach, especially once they had like that peak in the eighties, all the players on his team were black and mm-hmm. people had that wrong impression that, oh, well, maybe he's racist. You know, I, you know Fred Frischel said, you know, who was a you know, longtime coach who coached during that time he said, look, he wasn't racist. Mm-hmm. It was just that the way, you know, the style and at the time he recruited those type of players and he recruited players that, you know, he was able to get Patrick Ewing. He was able to get Dikembe Mutombo. He was able to get Alonzo Mourning, who was, you know, a top recruit. And also, of course, we mentioned Allen Iverson as well. You, you look at the history of, like you said, said that, you know, that, that Big East, because I don't think anybody, anybody would, Anyway, able to touch that part of the Big East because, in especially like from the late 70s going to like maybe the early to mid 90s, the Big East was probably like one of the best conferences in the, in the nation. And I mm-hmm. think people for, forget that. I mean, you know, Villanova, you probably put them in there too. This was before Villanova, sort of like, you know, Jay Wright became like the, you know, the top dog. Mm-hmm. And remember, he was there too during that time. So that's why he emulates a lot, you know, a lot of, you know, the style from when he was there. And you know, I think John Toss was a big part of that. And, you know, Jim, when Jim Calhoun eventually got there in 86 and, you know, Jim Beheim, Luke, Luke Karnaseka, who, you know, I know he's been having some issues too with his health. So there, there was like a lot of that, that whole area of, mm-hmm. you know, era of the Big East is just, you know, something that will probably will never be copied. Uh, I agree. I can't agree with you even more, Makina. Uh, let's also let's not forget too. Um, Coach the, Coach Thompson passed on the job from or to his son John Thompson III uh, following the 1999 season. Now he had some success, but not close to what his uh, his dad had. But it doesn't uh, negate the legacy of that whole John Thompson family. I also want to go back to to a time that college basketball was going through its transition at that time. We when Coach Thompson was coaching because you didn't have the three-point shot until the late 80s. He had to adapt to that. Also, you had other programs that had to step their game up, too, uh, following his success uh, at his peak uh, during the 80s. You had Duke uh, rising from uh, from the, the ashes during that time. You also had Syracuse, who was still good back then. Also, you had UNLV. You had colleges and, not, and small towns, not pro- professional sports towns, rise up to the ashes and almost become like their pro teams in those towns. So even though Georgetown is in the middle of D.C., uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was a success because look what was going on in that city at the time. You had the, the now Washington football team of winning Super Bowls. The basketball team, the Washington Bulls, they, they weren't as successful in terms of winning championships. I think the only one title they had was in 1978, and that was when Russell uh, and uh, – and uh, those guys. So 
And of course, they didn't have baseball back then. Hockey, they weren't doing that great back then. So to, for that program to do what it did, especially in a, in a big city like Washington, D.C., it has to be commended. It's been like a, a tough year for college hoops, you know, especially outside the fact that there was no March Madness. You know, we couldn't crown a champion. But Eddie Sutton, Lou Henson, Lou Dolce just a couple of days prior and now John Thompson. I mean, those are four Hall of Fame coaches that have passed mm -hmm. on. And we get a chance to talk about Lou Dolce, but uh, look what he did for, for Arizona. I mean, he made Arizona power. I mean, you know, four, four Final Fours, won a national championship with Mike Bibby yeah. and Miles Simon and head coach, you know, guys like Steve Kerr and Sean Elliott and Channing Fry and Damon Stoudemire, who doesn't get his due, who should have won that mm -hmm. year, you know, co college player of the year that year, but we won't get into that. But <laughs> so, but it's been, it's, it's been, <laughs> and you look at the you know, Steve Kerr, you know, he kind of, be, you know, Ludosa kind of became like a, a surrogate dad after his dad was murdered. And, mm -hmm. you know, for all, you know, I know Channing Fry, I saw a tweet saying that the same thing, that he became, he literally saved his life. So you look at the impact of all these coaches, you know, it, it, it's sort of like, I know people put coaches on a pedestal, but they shouldn't, you know, deter what these guys meant to their, these players. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And also too, just want to reiterate one more time that you know, many of these coaches, especially in today's world, uh, you have to care about – you can see the coaches who care about their players well, when something happens off the court because, let's be honest here, not every, not everyone is going to make it to the NBA. Look at the uh, few names that we mentioned um, during um, the, the heyday of Georgetown, the names you just mentioned for the late Lou Olson that made it to NBA, in the NBA. That's great and all. Let's not knock it, but uh, – it's what you do for the rest of your, of your life because not everybody is going to play sports. It's what kind of impact you're going to make off the court in, in society. Are, are you going to be a positive member of society or are you going to go down the wrong path? And you need strong leaders uh, like the late John Thompson is going to give you the right direction. Yes, it's up to you as the player uh, to realize that you have work to do. We can lay up, lay the, the coaches can lay down the work, the lay down the roadmap, but it's, it's up to you as the player to put in the work. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more, Sid. And, you know, as far as Eddie Sutton, if you, I would also implore folks, if you don't, if you get a chance to see it, I think a reader, reader yes, I'm sure it's going to be here again at some point. They did like a 30 for 30 style sort of, you know, doc on Eddie Sutton and some of the things he went through. And, he had had a drinking problem and you, know, you use that. I would implore people to try to watch that because, you know, sort of things that you don't know what these coaches go through. And I'm sure we'll, we'll I'm sure something about John Toss will become, be brought up at some point. Cause I, I think that this is sort of like, he was sort of like one of the pioneers in the trail places when it came to college coaching, especially. Let's also not forget either that coach John Thompson became a successful broadcaster, not only for Turner Sports uh, during NBA playoff time, but also he did college basketball for Westwood One Radio during the March Madness back in the early 2000s. He did that for a while as well. So I really appreciate his analysis. He didn't lose that attitude or his personality to break down the play or to call out something that he didn't like. He really kept that edge about him, but he, he can explain it in the way that everyone could get it. <laughs> 
Yeah, I remember they say he was stubborn. He was, you know, yep. like you said, he wasn't, you know, afraid to speak his mind, but, you know, people loved him. And I think he should be remembered. All four of these coaches should be remembered for the work that they did. Mm-hmm. All right. Also, you know, we, we mentioned it, but Cliff, Cliff Robinson passed away at 53. And I remember first seeing Cliff when he was at UConn. A lot of people don't know. People forget that. Um, I remember Jim Calhoun, you know, I know this was, like I said, I know this was a tough morning for him. He said that he kind of gave Cliff that kick in the pants that he needed because Cliff was already there by the time, you know, Coach Calhoun had got to UConn and, you know, he was, mm-hmm. you know, he was, you know, being very, you know, very erratic in his play and such. And look, he, he said, look, I, I want to make you a better player, but you're going to have to work with me. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, mm-hmm. and, he, and he became that, you know, UConn won their first, first sort of big title. They won the NIT in 88 in his senior year. He would go on to play for the Blazers and the Suns. And I think those Blazers teams in the 90s don't get their due. And unfortunately, this is, he's the third member from those Blazer teams that have, that passed, have passed away. Um, Kevin Duff working Jerome Curse. I forgot about Jerome Curse that he had passed away. But I mean, you know, the Suns, he played for those Suns teams in the late 90s. So just a veteran presence and, you know, thoughts of prayers go out to him and his family as well. I know that Bulls fans, especially during our era, has, have a connection with Cliff Robinson. Of course, Michael Jordan hitting those six three-pointers in the half in game one at the old Chicago Stadium during the 92 finals. Of course, Jordan doing his famous shrug and Cliff Robinson <laughs> was walking in the way. But Jordan didn't know where the NBC announcers, Magic Johnson and Marv Albert and Mike Fratello could uh, – Stare at and admire him. But with that being said, I was reading an Instagram post from my good friend of the show, Scooby Brandon Robinson of Heavy.com. He's their NBA insider. He said he had a list of players. I don't know if you saw it, Lakina, but he had a list of players that Cliff, uh, Cliff Robinson's game um, kind of mirrored after um, Kevin. Uh, the one name that stuck out, stu- stood out to me was Kevin Garnett. And I said, yeah, that's true because Kevin Garnett's game mirrored Cliff Robinson. Only the difference is that Kevin Garnett was a skinny kid with athletic type of talent who could move around like a guard. Cliff Robson was, if not the first player from the era, that was a tweener between center and power forward who could shoot from the outside. Yes, he could score from the inside. He was a heck of a defender, but he, his game really developed uh, with that outside jump shot. And, you know, like you said, Lakina, those Portland teams in the early 90s didn't get credit. If you guys uh, haven't seen it, NBA TV about a month ago put out a program uh, talking about the Rip City era from the late 80s until 92, 93. I don't know if you saw that, but yeah. for those who have, please look it up on YouTube. Uh, they talked about uh, those early 90s teams. They just couldn't get past uh, the Pistons in 1990. Of course, they couldn't get past the Bulls in 1992. And you, you're talking about the, the, the team, the players that passed away from those teams, Jerome Kersey, now Cliff Robinson, uh, Kevin Dunworth, and let's not forget Dryson Petrovic, who was a rookie on that 1990 team that lost to the Pistons. He was traded the following year, but uh, they, he passed away as well. So those were some good Portland teams. And, and also, let's not forget, Cliff Robinson was if not the first player to bring back the headband in, in the <laughs> 90s. So I remember inside stuff with Amara Shot and Willow Bay. They did a segment on that. So uh, he kind of brought the headband back in style in, in all the, the fan bases in Portland and throughout the league and started wearing headbands. So he kind of made that popular as well. <laughs> 
Oh, I that I love that headband he wore, and you know, sort of mm -hmm. it became kind of like a fashion statement, which <laughs> yeah, kind of made that a trend. So you know, then Ben Wallace kind of brought it back for a little bit, but then it, it's not mm -hmm. like that again. So yeah, so it's been a tough, you know, been a tough year so far. It's been a tough year, period. But you know, it, it hoops. So just a uh, you know, just you know, sad and rest in peace to all of them and thoughts of person their families. I know this is, this is a tough time for them. All right, let's, all right, Sid, let's talk about um, last night's playoff games. I have to say, I'm so glad that Denver beat Utah because I felt that that does, that series deserved to go seven. It is. <laughs> That series deserves to go seven. And I told you that when we were doing our playoff previews. And it's going to be just that. And look, Jamal Murray did something that only Michael Jordan and AI have done, having you know multiple fifty-point games. I mm -hmm. mean, it, that, that, and also his his um, pros game. You know, comments. If you guys haven't had a chance to look at it, I would implore you guys to look at it because you know I think he's playing like a man possessed. And what do you see, what do you think about those his performance? Also, what do you see from Game Seven? Well, Jamal Murray had a performance to remember. If you're a Denver Nuggets fan, in Game Six from Sunday, he had 21 points in the fourth quarter. Another 50 dropped another 50 piece, as the kids would say. Mm -hmm. So he he's been the man for for Denver. Remember, at this time last year, head coach Mike Malone challenged him to uh, be more aggressive. You saw that in that first round series last year against San Antonio. He's doing it again this year, but he's taking more of the lead. As I said in our last podcast, Denver, the reason why they were trailing 3-1 because they could not rebound the basketball. Rudy Gobert of Utah was controlling the paint, and Denver uh, didn't, have, didn't have an answer for him. They couldn't rebound the basketball. The last two games, Denver has out-rebounded Utah. In game six, Denver had a 13, uh, 13 rebound, plus 13 rebounding edge over Utah, and that's a credit to – uh, Jokic and Paul Millsap. So those guys banged the boards and, and controlled the tempo of the game. Jamal Murray, as I mentioned, he's a scoring machine right now. I'll, I wouldn't be surprised if he did the game, did the same thing in Game Seven, which will be coming up uh, on Tuesday when this po podcast is released. But uh, Denver has the momentum right now. As I said, if they didn't rebound the ball, they will be going home right now. They're heading towards the Game Seven. On the other side for Utah. Who's going to help out Donovan Mitchell? Yes, he scored 44 points, and he let his frustrations out after the game walking off the court. But who's going to help out Donovan Mitchell? That's going to be the key for Utah. Yeah, I mean, you know, Gobert, yes, he had a double-double, but you only scored 11 points. So mm -hmm. you got, you know, Mike Conley Jr., I mean, you had some key turnovers. You missed some key shots. Jordan Clarkson has been, has been okay, but I think he's step up a little bit more. Also, George Niang needs to, you know, do more. But I think this will definitely be one of those sort of cutthroat down to the wire game sevens. And I mean, it's sort of, it's going to be interesting to see like who wants it more. Cause I, I feel like this is sort of, you know, with everything that's happened, everything that transpired, transpired while they're on the bubble, I think we needed a game seven. This will be a very entertaining. And like I said, I have Denver, I had Denver in seven. I'm going to stick with that. And I think Denver pulls us out. I had Denver at six, and now it's going to seven. Like you said, Lakina, it's all, it's all about the marbles now. Come down to game seven. You know each other's plays. You're not going to run anything exotic. So 
it all comes down to execution. Who, who's going to make the least mistakes? Uh, it'll be who, who steps up, who sort of like the secondary guy step up more in game seven. I mean, look, this is going to be a very interesting you know, game seven. It's going to be a very interesting, interesting series. So I can't wait for tomorrow night, as the late, J late Jack Buck would say. All right, I'm going into another series that just ended. The Clippers, the Clippers took care of business, you know, against Dallas. They were able to kind of tame Luca for a while. And, you know, now it looks like Paul George is starting to become the Paul George that we all thought he would be. Um, Kawhi had 33 and, and 14 rebounds. So what do you think, what are you saying for the Clippers? Because I, I, I All right, go ahead. Yeah, game seven will come down to the the team who makes the least amount of mistakes and the team who executes uh, the best. Let's be honest here. In the game seven, uh, you're not running any new plays. You're not running anything exotic. You're not running anything new that another team has seen before. As I said before, it's going to come down to the basics, and whoever uh, does it the best is going to win this series. And I expect – Nothing but the best from Denver and Utah on Tuesday night for Game Seven. Who, who's who, who's going to step out the most? Which superstar is going to step up to the plate? And as I mentioned with the Utah Jazz, who's going to be uh, that second score to help out Donovan Mitchell? You haven't seen that from, from uh, any of those role players these last two games. And I think that's going to be the key. Like who the secondary guys? Who the the secondary the secondary guys? Who the secondary guys are going to step up? I mean. You know, I know Jamal Murray's done well, but he can't do it by himself. And we're seeing that Donovan Mitchell, he can't do it by himself. I mean, come on, Rudy Gobert, where are you? I mean, mm -hmm. like I said, I mean, you, you've had double-doubles, but, you know, you, you you haven't scored much of late. So, like I said, it's going to be very interesting, and I, I can't wait. It's going to be – should be a very entertaining game seven. All right, so the Clippers and the Mavs. I mean, Sid, I don't know about you, but I think the Clippers kind of slept walk through this series. But, you know, you know Kawhi Leonard doing, doing his thing, and also, you know, Paul George was able to, you know, make some big shots to sort of keep Dallas at bay. So what do you expect, and how do you think the, I mean, the, the Clippers are going to do the rest of the, the playoffs? Well, the Clippers have had to play better team basketball. Of course, Paul George had 15 points in game six, but he was bailed out by Kawhi Leonard, who scored 33, and that's what you need from Kawhi. But for, for the Clippers, they just need to get healthy and, and play as a team. Uh, they have a better roster up and down the roster, and they can give any other team fits. They got away with it against the the Mavericks because Luka Doncic, even though he carried the Mavericks, he was playing on one bum ankle, and Kristaps Porzingis was out for Dallas, and you didn't have any secondary scoring. That's why it appeared to me that the Clippers were coasting. Now, as they get into the next round, and for them, hopefully, the conference finals against the Lakers, they are going to have to play better team basketball. They just cannot depend on Kawhi and Paul George to uh, bail them out, as other players got to step up as well. And that's the thing that worries me because I think that, like you said, so I think that we need to get more, you know, Jeff, Jeffrey, Jeffrey, Montrez Herald. I mean, you guys need to step up in order to uh, make sure, especially because I'm hearing people say that, well, you know, they could be right there and challenge the, the Lakers, but at the same time, 
you know, where were you? I mean, Morris got ejected for, you know, taking down South. So I was wondering, I, I'm, I'm kind of like, I don't buy the Clippers being the favorite. I think, I think that it goes through the nut. It goes through the, the Lakers. What do you think? I have the Lakers winning the title this year. Is it a given? No, but no, the Lakers are the slight favorite. I know the Clippers the, with their roster can give the Lakers problems, but if LeBron James has it stuck on a matter, if Anthony Davis shows up, especially in the fourth quarter, it's going to be hard to defeat that team. If you're the Clippers, of course, you haven't played for anything big this season because of resting Kawhi Leonard and not having Paul George in the beginning of the season because of having surgery on both his shoulders from last summer. So uh, it's going to be difficult for the Clippers if the Lakers are on all cylinders. We saw the Bill talk about their uh, Lakers are playing like that. If you the Clippers, you think you can just show up anytime you want. You're going to have problems on your hands. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've, been, they've been very lax. You know, we we saw that series, Sid. I mean, I think we everyone can agree that they've looked very lax. And you can't just, like, sleepwalk. I mean, you were able to get away with it with Dallas. But whoever you guys play in the second round, I mean, you're not going to be able to do that. So, especially if you're trying to, you know, if you want to win that title. I know, I know older Steve Ballmer, that's one of the reasons why he traded for Kawhi and PG because he wants to win that title. And I commend him for that. But, you know, the, the other guys need to step up. I mean, I know – like I said, Morris got ejected for stepping on Luca's foot. Um, so it'll be a very interesting to see what they do here because I know, listen, Doc's a veteran coach. You know, he's been there, done that. So I'm sure he can, hopefully he can get his guys together because they're going to be off for a little bit, for a few days before they'll be able to play again. So should be very interesting. Um, okay. Um, Boston and Toronto. Now, Sid, I know you said that – you know, Boston, listen, the Boston looked great last night, but I'm not worried. I got, like I said, I've had Raptors in six. I'm not worried about them. I mean, they've actually have lost game ones, I think like three of the four times in the playoffs last year. So I'm not worried about the Raptors. I mean, look, you know, Marcus Smart looked really good. Jason Tatum looked really good too. And Kimba Walker, Walker was great yesterday. And they struggled. You can kind of tell that they did the struggle. The Raptors did. They struggled a little bit. But I'm not worried. I mean, Kyle Lowry looks like, you know, the ankle's starting to feel a little bit better. Marcus Saul needs to kind of step up a little bit more. But I'm not worried about the Raptors. I have Raptors in the sixth. So what do you think about this series? It's still going to be a long series. You know, I'm not handed this series over to Boston by any stretch of the imagination. Like you mentioned, they had a great game one. They shot the ball very well, especially from 3.1 points. Kevin Walker jumped in with 18 points as well. As you mentioned, Marcus Smart looked great. On the other side, Toronto by a huge margin. And they struggled with their three-point shot in game one. That's what it came down to. Now, Toronto can straighten that problem out. Uh, they'll be fine. I still expect this series to be a long series. These are two just about evenly matched teams, but I think that Toronto, as I said before in our last podcast, has a better roster. You have Siakam, you have Cal Lowry, and you have Fred Van Fleet, who's now the start of the lineup. So uh, that team, uh, Toronto, could give anybody problems. So uh, Boston took advantage of a hot shooting yesterday, but 
I wouldn't hand the series over, over to them just yet. It's still going to be a long series. I expect Toronto to respond, respond big in game two. And they're well coached, too. Not, not to say Brad Stevens isn't a good coach, but Nick Nurse is one of the best coaches. He won coach of the year for the reason. I think you'll see why as mm-hmm. the series goes on. Now, Miami, Milwaukee, there's – you know, we're, we're, they start tonight, their series. What do you think? This, do you think Miami can pull off the upset? <laughs> I don't know Miami's <laughs> own Milwaukee. I forgot the exact stat. But uh, if, if any surprise team is going to challenge Milwaukee, this will be at the Miami team. As I said before, we previewed the first round, their first round matchup against the Indiana Pacers. They have a better, well-balanced team. Of course, they're led by Jimmy Butler. You have Ben Mamadeo at center. You have Duncan Robinson, who's a good player, uh, as their third scorer. Of course, you have Kendrick Nunn, the rookie from Chicago, in there as well. So they have a, a good mixture of young and veteran players. Also, they have Andre Iguodala, too, so he can uh, bring something to the table. So Milwaukee, uh, if let, let if, if someone's got to step up, score runs to help out Giannis Antetokounmpo. And let's just say that if, if Miami's going to try the defensive tactic like these other all these other teams have tried, i.e. Toronto from last year's Eastern Conference Finals, to build a wall against Giannis, who's going to step up in Milwaukee on a consistent basis? It has to be Chris Middleton. It has to be uh, the other players, and especially coming off the bench with Kyle Corbett. So who's going to be that consistent second? can score to help out Giannis. Yeah, that, that's going to be the key for them. And I, and I I think they can do that. I think Milwaukee sort of is one of those teams where you can kind of like, it's sort of, it's Giannis, but yet you don't know who else is going to be that, that secondary guy. I mean, maybe Eric Bledsoe, could he be that guy? And, you know, Pat Connaughton, could he be that guy? I mean, we know Corver, we, 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 we saw Corver here in Chicago. He was sort of like, he made some, some big shots for me when the Bulls were in the playoffs during that, that point. And he's capable. And, but like you said, Sid, I mean, they need, they need that secondary help because if you're, you're talking about challenging Toronto for the title, you're going to need like one of your guys to step up. And as for Miami, look, the fact that Miami's gone this far, I think should, they should be commended. Um, you know, look, cause, Goran Dragic, I know, look, under Alea Tushauer, who we had on, I know she loves him. She loves that Heat <laughs> team. So I'm, I'm sort of wondering, like, what's he, what's, can he step it up? I mean, he does Haslam. Yes, he's like 100 years old now, but <laughs> he's sort of like that veteran <laughs> presence in, you know, Miles Leonard, Derrick Jones Jr. I mean, could they, could Miami pull it off? I mean, sure. I mean, look, people forget Eric Spolter is actually a pretty darn good coach. We've been talked, we talked about him at length and I think he doesn't get his get his due so we'll see what they can we'll see what they can do I mean this will be a very I think this will I think this series will be a lot closer than people think I have of course I have the Bucks in six but if Miami can somehow push it to seven I wouldn't be surprised yeah you just took the words right out of my mouth this is going to be a long series it better be a long series I think this will be a precursor to what happens in the Eastern Conference Finals should Milwaukee get there. I'm with you. I have Milwaukee in six, but Miami's going to give them a better test of what people are expecting. Yep, yep. And um, the Lakers, as we we expect, we said Sid, in our last podcast, they finished up their series against against the Blazers. They get to chill for a little bit. Um, 
how, where do you see the Lakers? Because you know, AD looked really good. LeBron showed like mm-hmm. showed his sort of you know the reason why. Look, he's still here, and we'll see if Rondo can will be able to play. It looks like he might be able to play this series. What do you think? I want to start out talking about their interior defense with, excuse me, Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee. Those two players, especially JaVale McGee, they do not get the credit that they deserve. And as I mentioned, I believe they played the winner of the Denver-Utah series. Mm-hmm. And let's just say they go up against Utah. Those two players are going to be really important because of Rudy Gobert. If they go up against Denver, you have to deal with uh, the Joker, Nikolai Jokic. So uh, that interior presence for the Lakers is going to be key. As I mentioned before, LeBron James is going to be the facilitator, but you can't expect him to dominate scoring-wise every game. And that's why Anthony Davis needs to uh, be huge. You saw that in, in the last series against Portland. Mm-hmm. Let's see if he can be in, in even better, especially in the fourth quarter going uh, throughout uh, this next round. If, uh, if you're a Laker fan, hopefully to the finals. Yeah, that that'll yeah. be interesting, right? I mean, I'm I'm looking I'm looking forward to that. If it does end up being Denver and the Lakers, or even if it ends up being Utah and the Lakers, I mean, I think both mm-hmm. I think the Lakers should both be getting out of that series, no problem. Okay, one more game before we take our break, Sid. You got Houston OKC. You got game six tonight. Houston can win it, will they? <laughs> <laughs> I think I picked OKC, if memory serves correct, but I kind of see Houston wrapping this one up. Their last game, they imposed their will on OKC. I told you I don't like Houston because of their previous history throughout the NBA playoffs, but I think they'll have enough to defeat OKC. The Thunder gave them a scare in games three and four, but I think Houston started to hit that stride. And I think Russell Westbrook is back now, so uh, things are starting to come together enough for the Rockets. But after this round, I just don't see it. But worrying about game six against OKC, they should have enough to uh, eliminate the Thunder. It's been a heck of a ride for the Thunder this year, as we said before on this podcast. Uh, they were the uh, surprise team in the league this year. No one saw this coming. Everybody's expected Chris Paul to be playing in another uniform, but that didn't happen. I know Nick Nurse won Coach of the Year, but my Coach of the Year was Billy Donovan. You saw what he got out of that young roster. Yeah, I mean, look, OKC should be commended, like you said, Sid. I mean, nobody thought that they would make it this far. Everybody thought that maybe, you know, they would start – that CP3 would be out of there. But, look, I mean, Billy Donovan – there's a reason why Billy Donovan is one of the top coaches that I think he doesn't get his due. Mm-hmm. But look, he got he got look he got as much out of the team as he as he could, and they just ran into like a team that was just a little bit better. And also, you know, Russell Westbrook's back, and he showed you why he's Russell Westbrook. So yes, <laughs> that that, that kind of sort of ended up there, right? So that should be interesting tonight. We'll see. Um, yeah. So oh well, we're right there. We are taking our break. Uh, we'll talk MLB. You got the trade deadline coming up in about a couple of hours from now. White uh, Sox. Yeah, both te- yeah, both teams had nice series wins this weekend, and I'm hoping mm-hmm. maybe you make some big moves. So, and also NFL, and you got one star that's holding out, and you got another star that's injured, and you got college football commence on excuse me on Saturday. And also some other stuff. Also, the U.S. Open two starts. So we'll talk more about that coming up next in the second stage sports Zoom style, and we'll be right back. Zoom style. All right. 
All right, folks, welcome back to Second City Sports Zoom style. Zoom style. All right, welcome back. I'm Lakina McGee. You can follow me at Keena McGee on Twitter, at Keena underscore McGee on Instagram. You can follow yours truly, Sid the Kid, at SidKid80 on Twitter and Instagram. Once again, on Twitter and Instagram, at SidKid80. That's S-I-D-K-I-D-80. That's S-I-D-K-I-D-80. You can download Second City Sports along with our other great programming from We Are Rico Radio on War on Anchor, which you, you can go to Anchor, which kicks you over to Spotify, SoundCloud, everywhere else you can download your podcast. Also, we on iHeartRadio. Please, please, please download the iHeartRadio app. Type in War on Anchor. That's W-A-R-R on Anchor. And you can access all of our beautiful programming, including this lovely program, Sexy Sports. It can also... You can also watch us on YouTube. Just go to War on Anchor, W-A-R-R, on Anchor on YouTube. Subscribe, tell your friends. You know, it's all, this program and all the other programs are there as well. Hey, get the lights up, please. Get them up, get them up, get them up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Get those descriptions up, folks. All right, Sid. Um, Busy, busy day here. Um, The MLB trade deadline is coming up in about two hours from now. Three o'clock our time as of this recording here on Monday, August 31st. We've already seen some minor moves. We got Jared, the White House got Jared Dyson. Um, the Cubs got Jose Martinez. And now the Indians got Ace Mike Clevenger. To the, they traded him to the Padres, I should say. Mm-hmm. I know I, you said you weren't bummed because apparently the White Sox is another team that was you know, said to be interested. And also, I believe the Mets as well, if I'm not mistaken. So how, how do you feel about it? You said that you were too bummed about not getting Clevenger. I just could see a contending team like Cleveland <coughs> trading him to a rival team. Uh, even though it does happen from time to time, it just doesn't happen like that, especially in a season like this. And not, It doesn't happen too often in a regular 162-game season. Even though Cleveland's competitive and they don't have the same uh, same uh, financial sources like the White Sox and the Cubs and some of the big league teams do, I just couldn't see Cleveland train him to the Chicago White Sox. I just couldn't see it. I'm sure the asking price was real high because the White Sox have all the prospects. So I'm sure Rick Khan looked at it as like, uh, I want this team to be good for a, a long time. Yes, eventually I had to trade some pieces away, but do I – do I have to mortgage the future for right now for a pitcher like Clevenger? Probably not. I'm sure there's going to be some better uh, players that will be offered, and you can trade some of those prospects away smartly. For right now, I'm with Rick Hahn. The, the asking price is too high. I'm, I'm not doing it. I'm kind of looking at this starting pitching staff. Is This is the pitching staff that you should go with. I know Carlos Rodon should be back hopefully soon on the mm-hmm. I know Gian Gonzalez is on there right now with an injury, but I'm kind of feeling good about this White Sox starting rotation with the exception of Ronaldo Lopez who goes in game three of this important series uh, this week against the Minnesota Twins. So uh, this is probably the kind of pitch, the pitches that, that, that you're going to see throughout the, uh, the rest of the season. I know uh, there's been rumors out there that Lance Lynn, that the White Sox are, are interested in him. I know he is, his ERA is below two which is one of the tops in Major League Baseball this year for the Texas Rangers. But once again, if the price is too high, uh, if you're Rick Hunt, you, you wouldn't do it. There's maybe a chance you could do it in the offseason or, or at this time next year. 
where hopefully things get back to normal in a regular 162-game season. You can take your time with this. But right now, I will mortgage the future for basically less than a month because the season ends on September 27th. There's kind of the pitching staff you go to see, folks. So I, uh, I'll i be shocked if they got Lance Lynn. I'm not saying I wouldn't be happy, but uh, the, the pitching, starting pitching staff that you're looking at right now is probably what you're going to see between now and the end of the season. Hopefully they can push for it and make one of those eight spots in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, yeah, you know, we all know how aggressive Rick Khan can be. And I don't, like mm-hmm. you said, Sid, I don't think he should have to mortgage the future right now. I think you've got, you've got a good team. That back end of the sorry, rotation, like I said, Sid, is, like I've been saying, Sid, still kind of question marks. Mm-hmm. The, bullpen, the bullpen almost let a couple of those games against the Royals slip. So I'm still a little bit worried about them. But I mean, I, I think you got. I think you'd be feeling pretty good if you're the White Sox right now. I mean, you're you're right there. You're tied for first place in the division. You play Minnesota mm-hmm. starting tonight. I'm a, you know, I think that's the thing you should be focused on right now. That that you gotta think that that Minnesota series is huge because I think this is sort of like a chance for you to kind of like distance yourself from the from the division. So I'm I'm interested to see what they do. I mean, Eloy and Luis Robert, who hit that, you know, that great walk off, they have to step up the pitching. They mm-hmm. actually were able to get, they actually get Gilito and Fellas Keiko. So that, that helps a lot if you're the White Sox. So, I mean, I can't wait for this series. I mean, Minnesota has two of their top guys, you know, going in and they're still hitting the ball very well. So this might be like 10 to 11, 11 to 10 or something like that. So <laughs> how these two teams sort of hit the ball. So I'm looking forward to this series. It should be a fun and entertaining series. Yeah, when is the last time that, as a White Sox fan, you're excited by a regular season series? I'm not talking about the Cubs. Let's leave the Cubs out of it. Yeah. When is the last time you're excited about a series within your division, obviously? Maybe 2012, when that, that lead starting to slip against the Tigers? Outside of that, it's been just about a decade since you've been excited for a, a big series. Like, as you mentioned, the White Sox are tied for first place. You, have, you are on the road at Minnesota. Even though there's no fans there, you still need to prove a point. You did it before a couple weeks ago when you defeated the Cubs uh, two out of three at Wrigley, and the Cubs are still a first-place team as we speak. Now you've taken care of Kansas City, as you said, Lakina, uh, despite the bullpen almost blowing two games, thanks to Luis Robert on Sunday uh, bailing them out with that 10th inning game-winning 3-1 homer. Uh, The White Sox bullpen has been stumbling as of late, but uh, the office has carried the Sox to this point. Now you've taken care of Kansas City, winning two out of three. Uh, this is a, important uh, for the Twins. I like this club's attitude of not being afraid of anybody, but you're going to have to prove yourself again on the road against the team that you're trying to catch. And like you mentioned, the starting pitching, at least for the first two games of this series, starting with game one with Lucas Giolito and followed by Dallas Keuchel, you should take both games, to be honest with you. But realistically, I expect the Sox to split one of those two games. Now, the third game I'm worried about because of Ronaldo Lopez, he's been inconsistent so far this season. Nearly two weeks ago, you saw his last start against the Cubs. It didn't go so well. He had to been bailed out by Gio Gonzalez, who's currently on the injured list. Uh, if you're the White Sox, you, you don't want it to become a quote-unquote bullpen game, but it may have to be because, as you mentioned, Lakina, Minnesota crushes the ball very well. They do it against everybody, but in particular the White Sox. 
and that's going to be the key. I mean, that back end of that rotation, you need three or four good starters. And the, they, the White House got two, but the problem mm-hmm. is that back end, like I've been saying, Sid, it's just still a little bit worrisome. So we'll see. I mean, like I said, this is a big series. You only got about like less than a month left of this sort of shortened sprint season. So it'll be interesting to see what they do here because I'm not saying that this is sort of make or this this sort of this particular series is make or break, but at the same time though, you wanna you know make some distance between yourself and that division. All right, going across town for the Cubs. The Cubs, you know, I think I think they just hit another home run. Um not, you know, a pretty good performance. <laughs> I mean, I mean, look, I mean, a pretty good performance by the the Cubs, the hitting. I mean, that that was they had a, you know, I think, too bad Jason is not with us today because I know he yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> he was excited. I mean, both Ian Happ and Jason Herod and Kyle Schwarber hit home runs, two home runs apiece. And I think that's the first time in MLB history that's ever happened. So they made Cubs made some history yesterday. But, uh, and then, you know, Tyler Chatwood, that's the one thing that you got to be concerned. He's having elbow issues again. That's, you know, that's something to look out for. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, Again, they were able to distance themselves a little bit from that division. So what do you think about the Cubs? Uh, this, besides the back and forth of the bing balls but between the Cubs and the Reds from Saturday Saturday's game, uh, the Cubs really showed themselves who they are. They're an offensive team. They can knock the ball out of the park at any time, despite uh, their injuries uh, to some key players throughout the season. Uh, they took advantage of a, uh, a weak Reds team. They got the job, job done. Now they had to move forward and play against uh, better teams. I don't have the schedule in front of me, but let's see. As you as you mentioned, they can uh, separate themselves be- between Cincinnati, Milwaukee, even St. Louis, who looked great against Cleveland over the weekend. So uh, I want to see the Cubs uh, separate themselves, but it's going to be tough, but they have to do it. I think they're still the best team in the division. But what concerns me, Lakina, is not just Tyler Chetwood's uh, opinion elbow problems, but their bullpen, we mentioned it all season. Craig Kimball, I think it's safe to say he's not the closer anymore. I tweeted at our uh, friend of the show, Shore Ray Stout, that he's been a waste of money, which many people feel looks like this coming true now. He may be a, a set, I don't even know, he's a, he's a setup guy at this point, uh, the way he's been struggling. It may be Wick or it may be Jeffries as you're closing for the Cubs, or could it be somebody else? Maybe they pick up the scrap heap. I don't know, but uh, if the bullpen can hold up well enough until the playoffs, you, know, you may have something that's a complete team for the Cubs, but your your concern, if you're a Cubs fan, is that bullpen has been consistent all year. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I mean, that, another, thing that's, another thing that worries me is that bullpen. I mean, some of the, the guys have been good, but others have not been. And let's say Kimbrough's not going to be the closer anymore. Like, let's just make that clear. But uh, mm-hmm. I, but I think that they're 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 good enough, though. I think they will get in. I think the other teams in their division that have struggled. So if they can just distance themselves just a little bit, I think they'll be fine. And they can sort of just concentrate on the playoffs. So I'm I'm looking I'm looking forward to that. I mean, they've got Pittsburgh. They got like five games against St. Louis. So this is their this will be their chance to sort of like keep distance themselves from them in that division. So it'll be interesting to see what, what happens there. As you mentioned, it's going to be a tough stretch. I forgot about that five-game series against St. Louis because the games that the Cardinal missed due to their uh, COVID-19 outbreak from a few weeks ago. So it's going to be five games within three days. Yep. That, that's tough on any baseball team. So 
we will we have to see how the Cubs manage through this. Along with St. Louis, will they they're trying to catch the Cubs for that division crown? And have to catch up on their scheduling too. That's going to be the yeah. thing. We'll see how we'll see. I mean, that that could actually work. that could wear a team out having to make up all those games. So you got to yeah. think what St. Louis is like is going to be during all this. We'll see. Like I said, if if, he, if you're the Cubs, you can just split that five game where I think you'll be fine. Yeah, just win three out of five, you should be good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as a whole, though, that Padres team, I'm you know they're like five games behind the Dodgers, but I guess they're I guess they're going for those wild card spots. What do you think? Because I, I don't think they're going to catch up to the Dodgers. I just don't think they will. They well, Dodgers have won like eight of their last ten, but. What do you think about that that Clevenger trade and that that great hair? He'll have like great, probably have the best hair on that team, Clevenger will. So, <laughs> <laughs> since you're worried about the hair, I worry about the stuff on the field. Uh, but um, give credit <laughs> to the Padres front office. They're they're aggressive. They're telling their fans, even though they're not in the stands this year, that that they're going for it. They they're looking at the opportunity, as you mentioned, Lakina. The playoffs are expanded for this year, and they're right there for the division title. I'm not saying they're gonna overtake the Dodgers because they're not unless the Dodgers start having a, a flurry of injuries to their key players. But the wild card is, is with the ex, being expanded this year, it's so easy to give. You just stay a few games above 500 and the Padres have been having a hot streak these last couple of weeks. As we said before, before the season started, you just need that one good hot streak and you'll probably be in the playoffs. If you play 500 ball the rest of the way, look what's happening with the Padres right now. Fernando Tatis, I've been saying it for the last couple of weeks. I know he's cooled off a little bit, but him and Mookie Betts are your top two candidates for NL MVP right now. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think Charlie Blem has kind of, you know, fallen off a little bit. So that that's going to be another thing. But, yeah, I mean, Tatis, Sid, you know. <laughs> I'm not going to get upset. We got better props. So I'm not going to fall for that again. <laughs> all right. All right. Okay. <laughs> all right. So we'll see what happens there in the West. Um, in the AL East, I mean, Atlanta had needed that win. They got that big win last night. The Marlins have fallen off a little bit. They've lost four in a row. Where do you see the – and the Phillies are right there as well. Where do you see the, a, the NL East, I should say? Atlanta is still the best team in that division. I expect them to pull out of it and win it at the end. As you mentioned, all the other teams are um, mediocrity at best, uh, with the exception of the Nationals, who you can count them out as far as any uh, playoff aspirations are concerned, unless they really get hot very quickly. But I, I don't see that happening from that squad. The Mets, I'm done with them too. I know uh, they, they did what they did against the Yankees over the weekend. I, was, I watched a couple of their games. They won one game, but they blew a 7-2 to two lead. I believe it was on Sunday, and the Yankees came back to, to win in that first game of that doubleheader on Sunday. So uh, the Mets show who they are. They're not, they're not a good team. Even in the short um, season, I just don't trust them. So Atlanta's the best team in that division. And Philly, too. Philly's been playing okay lately. I think they can be, like, looking at – if you look at the standings in the, in the wild card, with the way, like like we've been saying, there the way everything's set up. I think Philly's like right behind both the Marlins and the Rockies, you know, for those last you know last couple of spots. So I'm looking to see what they do. Do they make any you know big moves you know before the trade deadline? We'll see. Going to uh, speaking real quick, Lakina. Uh -huh. Speaking of Jake Arrieta. Oh yeah. How the on Sunday night? How the money have fallen? Yeah. I know it happens every once in a while, but giving up ten runs in the first inning. Ooh, 
Yeah, that was just brutal. And uh, it looks like maybe the Cubs probably might have done the right thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, that, 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 that's a tough one there. Uh, okay, to the AL, you've got the Rays uh, leaning the Yankees, who they've had injury issues. But the good news is that the Yankees have won three in a row, but unfortunately the Rays have won five in a row. But look, look who's right behind them, Tor- Toronto. Toronto actually has the most wins since April, just uh, August 17th, April 13th. What the hell am I doing? <laughs> uh, they, they actually just, just pulled off a trade. They, they get Robbie Ray. So, you know, short of that rotation. So what do you think about the East? Uh, I still, I think still it's going to come down to the Yankees and the Tampa Bay Rays. I think the Yankees, if they ever get their stars held in the Back and John Carlson and Aaron Judge, and they can get those two guys back rolling again. They should win that division. But as we said on this podcast, as I said before in weeks um, in the Tampa Bay Rays, they swept the Yankees last week in Yankee Stadium. They carried that momentum on, and now you see them leading that division. Not by much, but it's going to be a battle between the Yankees and the Rays. Baltimore, I know they had a, a hot start to start the season, but you Looking at that team, you see who they really are now. They're a young team, not ready yet. Toronto, they're iffy team. I think we said this before the shutdown, Lakina. Toronto could be one of those teams to take the next step, not making the playoffs, but they have enough young talent with more coming. They could they could be interesting. You see, as you mentioned, breaking news, they, they just acquired Robbie Ray from Arizona. So let's see if they give them an extra jolt. So uh, we'll see what Toronto does there. Boston – we told you that they're dead since yeah, the season started. Look, look at them right now, so you can forget about them. <laughs> Absolutely. So, all right. So, looking at that, the Central Division, like we said, the Indians, the White Sox, Minnesota—they've lost five in a row. Mm. It's all like a log jam here. So, what do you think about the Central? As I said before, the White Sox have a three uh, important three-game series on the road in Minnesota. I want to see what this team is made of. Uh, they proved it before a couple weeks ago, taking two out of three against the Cubs. They have taken care of business against the bad teams over the last couple of weeks in Detroit and Kansas City. So let's see what they made up here as the as the, the spotlight is brightly shining shining on them now because Minnesota is still the class of that division. And the White Sox, if, if they want to be where Minnesota is, you got to be able to go through them. So it's a big, important series right here. Cleveland, as I mentioned before, they struggled at St. Louis over the weekend. So Let's see if they can get it together. Of course, now they traded Mike Clevenger. We'll see how they rebound for that. Minnesota, I'm still not going to count them out. So, as I said before, they have a big series against the White Sox this week. And Kansas City and Detroit, I know Detroit took care of business, helping out the Sox mm-hmm. and uh, sweeping the, <laughs> the Twins. But I still don't believe in them either. Kansas City, same here. Same same there. I, I don't believe in those, uh, those two teams. So, it's going to be a three-team race as we come down the home stretch. Should be fun. And in the West, you got Oakland. Oakland hanging on, even though they've lost a couple in a row. Although the Houston Astros, they're they're starting to creep up as well. And yeah, it's probably just going to be those probably going to be those two teams for the in the West. I know that Sunday's game was postponed due to um, somebody, I believe, on Oakland catching COVID nineteen. If you yep. correct me on that, Lucky, yep. if I have it yep. wrong. But uh, I know Oakland and Houston. We're playing this weekend. As I said before, uh, on the last podcast, Houston needed to start getting on a hot streak. And you're looking at it now, uh, led by manager Dusty Baker and some of those 
uh, veterans left over from that World Series team from a couple years ago. They're starting to show up now. So Oakland, Oakland, I still believe it's the best team, but you know, should Houston keep up this hot streak, um, they're going to be right there. But uh, I'm not handing over the, the AL West title to Oakland yet, but they are the best team right now. We'll see what Houston does this upcoming week. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't really was, was they didn't. They weren't really specific on who in the organization. It said somebody in the organization mm-hmm. tested positive. They didn't say it was a player or anything like that. So, we'll we'll see. We'll see what happens uh, there. But yeah, they had to postpone that last game. It'll be. It'll definitely be between those two teams because I, I just you know nobody else. I mean the, the Mariners. They're they're too far back, and everybody else is too far back. So we can just forget about the rest of them. But. Yeah, I mean, look, if Oakland can kind of – if Oakland can make a move, they'll, I'm sure they'll try. But I think they'll give them the edge in that division. I think Houston's right there, though, I think, I believe. So, yeah. they'll, they'll, they'll be okay. And I'm sure they got to play each other again multiple times. they got to make up a couple of those games. So, we'll see what they do. Um, yeah, so anything else baseball-wise before we go to the gridiron? Uh, let's go to the great iron because there's some news right there. We're less than uh, two weeks away from the start of the season. I don't know about you, Lakina. I'm excited, but obviously it's going to be different because some places will have fans. Well, many cities, including where we're broadcasting from, Chicago, will not have fans to start the year. Will it change by the time we get to November, December? We'll see about that. We're still a long ways from that. But as of right now, I'm excited that football is starting, but because everything else is going on, have you really missed the preseason? Call me crazy, but yes, but entirely no. <laughs> well, preseason is one of those things where you never know, you never appreciate what you have until it's not there. I mean, not that's having, a good analogy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the third preseason game is usually like the most important because you know you get to see how the starters look, and you also mm-hmm. get to see like maybe those you know guys that are like off the practice squads i mean who can make who can they can make who of them can make the team so i'm missing that stretch i mean i'm seeing some very similar comments i think diana rossini who does a great job with espn said the same thing says she misses preseason i see the other couple other people say they miss preseason as well so it's sort of funny that i've seen people say that well i miss the preseason who who would have thought right yeah yeah but sort of a couple of big news involving two veteran running backs. Um, Leonard Fournette gets released by the Jaguars. We've talked about Mr. Fournette when we first started doing this, Sid, about some of his uh, antics, yeah. if you will. Um, Doug Marone said, no, I don't want to be bothered with that anymore. But also some news just came across the pike about, like, before we started right back, Alvin Kamara, the veteran Pro Bowl running back for the Saints, has sat out practice the last three days. And they said, and according to Adam Schefter, he thinks it's Keebley's is contract related. Oh, if you're the Saints, you better settle that thing and settle that thing fast. I know Drew Brees has other weapons in that offense, in particular the number one wide receiver in the NFL numbers-wise than Michael Thomas. But without a solid running game for the Saints, uh, that offense is very predictable. And Brees, along with his offensive line, will be in trouble and trouble fast. I know they played the Tampa Bay Bucks a couple uh, in a couple of weeks to start the season, but uh, they don't have Alvin Kamara. I know he had a down year a little bit last year, but he's still one of the best uh, overall backs in the game. If, if they don't have that contract uh, issue settled uh, as Kamara has to uh, sit out the season, that's going to be huge for the Saints. And I think this, I'm not going to say the Saints will go down, yeah, but, but it depends on how long Kamara sit, sits out. It's not going to look good. It's just not going to look good. 
Yeah, I think for yeah. All, yeah, I'm echoing everything you said, Sid. I mean, if this prolongs, hopefully they'll get this thing settled before the week is over with. I mean, maybe they could do some restructuring like the 49ers did with Raheem Mostert. Because I don't think mm-hmm. I don't think they're thinking about maybe giving another extension right now, especially with everything going on, especially with the financials and not knowing yeah. whether or not you'll be able to have fans in the stands. I know that's going to be tough for that team with no fans because you know they they feed off that energy. Drew Brees you know said it in one of the you know, one of the, his pressers, so that'll be interesting. But uh, yeah, I mean they're, they're one notes without Kamara, so if they can't get that settled, like you said, said they're going to be very predictable and. People are going to see, especially when you got a certain future Hall of – another future Hall of Fame quarterback right there in your division now. Mm-hmm. He now has the weapons and the running backs and stuff. So, And also Atlanta. Atlanta's no slouch. I mean, I think they could probably mm-hmm. you know, rebound. They were right there for – they got hot later in the season. So, And we'll see how Carolina looks with their new staff. So this is going to be very interesting, Sid, that this NFC South, once we start doing our previews and whatnot. Yeah. Now, what about Leonard Fournette? I mean, I see some people say that maybe the Bears should probably try to take a go at it. What do you think about Mr. Fournette? (laughs) (laughs) I think they will, but I don't know if they're going to sign him. And the reason why I say that is because, as we mentioned on this program before, Leonard Fournette has not been the, lack of a better term, perfect angel. He's had his issues most of it on to himself. But the Bears – do need a run running back because David Montgomery is going to miss uh, the next two to four weeks when the season starts. You know, if the tight team is correct, David Montgomery will miss the first two games of the regular season. So, will you bring in Fournette for the first really for the first two or three weeks? Is he really worth it? And and is he going to uh, comply to the rest of the rest of that locker room? I'm not sure. And I saw something on Twitter earlier today saying that the Patriots may pick him up. If you if you're Bill Belichick, do <laughs> he usually picks up players like that and they usually comply? But I wouldn't be surprised. But do they really do the Patriots really need him like the Bears do? I'm yeah. just asking. Well, yeah, I mean they they've got a pretty decent running back core, so I don't know. Do they? Well, do they have the room? I mean, exactly. Do, really, do you think that Bill Belichick want to? If the Dumper Rowan didn't want to deal with his antics, do you really think Belichick wants to deal with his antics? I, I doubt it. So I think for anybody that's... He's done with a lot of stuff throughout his career. But like you said, Leonard Fournette, do we really need him? If you're the Patriots, probably not unless a couple of their running backs go down. Yep, exactly. Um, that'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Um, the Raiders have released former Bear Corner Prince of Mugamora. What do you think? Not, can't say I'm surprised by that one. I mean... He had been having, you know, injury issues. He didn't really play that much last year. So, I mean, that, 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 that's, yeah, that's not really a big surprise. Yeah, he's an older player as well. Maybe he'll get picked up later in the season by somebody if a couple of defensive backs go down. But I don't know if he's going to be on the opening day roster in a couple of weeks. So, we'll see what happens there. All right. Uh, speaking of the Jaguars, they let go another person that wasn't very happy, Yannick Nague. He agreed to a pay cut, and he is now going to the Vikings. The Vikings, they had to make up because Emerson Griffith is gone. So, mm-hmm. I look, I, I look, I can see why people are picking Minnesota to win the NFC North because, yes, they lost a couple of guys. They lost, you know, Griffin. They lost a couple other defensive guys. They lost mm-hmm. to Stephon Diggs. They traded Stephon Diggs <clears> to <throat> Buffalo. But 
they've been able to sort of, you know, fix a lot of those holes and sort of like move some pieces around. What do you think about this big trade? Give GM Rick Spielman credit, who used to work here in Chicago back in the 90s. Uh, give him credit because their roster needed to be healthy and younger, and this is what you get from the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, as you mentioned, Lakina, uh, this this defense looks better on paper, and I will give them the slight favorite to uh, win the NFC North. I'm, I'm not going to get into my predictions now who are actually going to win, and we're going to do it in the next couple of shows. But uh, it, Minnesota should get the slight nod right now because the defense has upgraded looks better on paper. Yeah, I mean, I know people were sort of giving Minnesota sort of like, no, nah, you know what, they're not going to be very good. But then mm-hmm. now we, we had Don Mitchell on, and, you know, the buzz is there in Minnesota. You know, maybe the Vikings could probably be that team and be the team to beat in that division. All right. Uh, let's see. Any, something else. Oh, the, the quarterback thing for the Bears. I mean, <laughs> Do we have to? It, it's 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 sort of it's becoming like a, a running joke. It's becoming like a running joke, right, Sid? I mean, yeah, you know, we're hearing like we've been saying this for like the last month. It's, it feels like you got one one person. Some people are saying it's full. Some people say it's Trubisky. Personally, I think it should be Mickey Mouse, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Sid? I'll give it to Bugs Bunny. How about that? Take that. Oh, take ooh, that. good one. Yeah. <laughs> the floppy ears love I, it. <laughs> yeah. But as I said before, unless Trubisky gets hurt, heaven forbid, not do me heaven forbid, if he gets hurt in practice between now and two weeks when they go to Detroit to play the Lions, he's going to be your starting quarterback. No, you did not give him the fifth-year option, which most players are expected to get picked up by their teams. This is his last chance, and – Head coach Matt Nagy and GM Ryan Pace are going to squeeze every bit of juice out of Trubisky as possible before their heads cave in if they don't make the playoffs this year. So as I, as we said before, how many games they're going to give Trubisky? One, two, three, because they, they go to Detroit to start the season, and then you have it as of right now without fans against the New York Giants. Two opponents you should beat, and if Trubisky doesn't look good after those two games, well, you put a plug. My consensus says yes. And that's going to be the thing where what will, what, what will it take, especially if they don't have a very – the Bears have a very slow start. I mean, do they – does Nagy pull the plug right away? Does he sort of wait maybe a couple of games to see if he gets better? Or, you know, it's just something – that's just something that you just got to gotta worry about if you're a Bears fan. Yeah. Oh, well, they wait till David Montgomery comes back. Or, you know, I, I, I don't know, but uh, it, it's going to be a short leash for um, Mr. Trubisky. So we'll, we'll see how the situation plays out. The, uh, you're talking about a team that really misses the preseason. It was the Bears this year because you were supposed to find out uh, who was the quote-unquote best quarterback. Of course, due to this pandemic, uh, we didn't get a chance to see that. So we'll have to see starting in two weeks in Detroit. <sighs> Yay. Uh <laughs> Some bummer injury news. If you're a Chargers fan, Derwin James um, is having knee issues, and they're saying that it's a significant one, even though nothing has been official yet. Um, they're taking x-rays. If you're the Chargers, like, I, it'll be – yeah, you're, 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 it's a bummer if you're a Chargers fan right now because Derwin James has just had injury issues, has had injury, injury issues the last couple of years, so this is another one. 
do you and also Earl Tom Earl Thomas, he's out there. <laughs> Next week on Hard Knocks. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Even right? though yeah, even though I haven't caught up yet, I've got to go through my DVR. But as you mentioned, Lakina, you just took the words right out of my mouth. Duran James is one of the best. Uh, safeties in the league. Uh, he's been having injury issues the last couple of years. That was one of the reasons why the Chargers struggled last year outside of Melvin Gordon getting bad advice from a bad agency. But that's a whole other issue. But mm -hmm. if you're the Chargers, uh, things, things were supposed to look up uh, for you this year. Of course, Kansas City's right there, the defending champs right in your division. Uh, the other teams in your division, i.e. now Las Vegas Raiders, and the Denver Broncos, they're going through their issues. So it was an opportunity for you to grab one of those three wild card spots. It makes it even tougher that Derwin James has to miss the season, any part of the early part of the season. Yeah, we'll see how how far or how long he's going to be gone. They have nothing's been officially yet, but I mean, you feel bad for him because he came out of mm -hmm. came out of Florida State and was one of the top safeties in the draft. He's now been having injury problems. It's, it's just unfortunate that this is this is no sort of now becoming the case for him. But we'll, we'll see if Earl Thomas, if, if it, especially if it is a prolonged injury, we'll see if Earl Thomas, you know. Do, but if you're Anthony Lynn, do you really want to deal with that headache? <laughs> no, not especially with a uh, young roster like that. Uh, probably not. No, you don't. So, uh, yeah, that'll be interesting to see to look forward to um, there. Uh, any other news and notes in the NFL that you got? Uh, the season starts in a couple of weeks. I know that Houston and Kansas City is supposed to kick it off. Kansas City, has a, from what I've heard, I think we talked about it before, they're supposed to have uh, 16,000 fans in there of a limited capacity. So, I want to see how that looks, but we'll talk more about that as we get closer to that. So, uh, as we mentioned before, it's going to be uh, state by state to see whether fans are allowed back in the stadium. It'll probably be at 20% capacity at most of these stadiums. In many places, they won't allow fans as of right now, including here in Chicago. But going back to college football for a minute, Lakina, I don't know if you saw this news, but Notre Dame, when they start their season, if it starts, because they're playing in the ACC this year, uh, mm -hmm. their home games will be only filled to 20% capacity. Uh, faculty, uh, family, uh, family members of those players in the limited amount of students are going to fill the Irish Stadium. Yeah, I think I saw like Georgia 20 to 25%. I think Clemson is about 30 <laughs> Um, I think a lot of those Southern schools, I think they're talking about maybe 20 to 30% capacity. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I want to see if they can pull this off. I know that for a lot of these college towns, and we've been talking about this for months, Sid, that this, mm -hmm. is, this is where they get their revenue is from you know, the concessions and tail. Will there be tailgating? I mean, that's No tailgating be. for uh, Notre Dame. No I'm assuming that the schools that hopefully will follow super. I know for sure for the Fighting Irish, no tailgating. No tailgate. Okay, so, but also having all those people there, having everybody spread out, and where are the mm -hmm. where are the cheerleaders going to be? Since it's not going to be that many people, is everybody's going to be like in one area? Will it be like six feet apart and like very like all around the the arenas and stadium? So, mm -hmm. yeah, that that that's good. This is going to be very. Good and also, it. yeah, and also too for for the if you're going to a Notre Dame game this year, you will have to wear your mask. Okay, so okay, so yeah, so I'm glad they're doing that. So that that's good. You know, yay, Shore, yes, yay, Mr. Shorebuck, uh, <laughs> who was a long time <laughs> AT. Yeah, well, look, look, he's 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 cool. He's a good guy. So, 
and that you know, I'm not too you know buzz about that. I'm I'm sure he was looking at the student's best interests. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and also more and more top players are opting out. Jamar Chase, who was one of Joe Burrow's top uh, targets last year, has decided to opt out. Um, and also, uh, Memphis star running back. If you guys haven't, you guys probably have never heard of him, but I have, and you know, I'm sure Jason too. We, you know, Kenneth Kenwell, Kenneth Gainwell, he's decided to opt out. He lost four family members due to COVID. His dad Curtis said that he doesn't want to take that chance. So you are seeing more and more players deciding to opt out. And Auburn, I just saw this on the wire, said that 18 <laughs> players have tested positive for COVID. So, <laughs> so I, I, I don't know. I mean, what, what do you think about all this? I don't want to put fear into people either, but I don't know how you're going to kick off the season. If you, hopefully that these conferences, as we discussed these last few weeks, looking at if they're going to pull this off, do you have a plan in place in, in just in case um, certain situations happen? And as we discussed before, I'm sure all these schools have different methods of testing. Will you test every other day? I'm assuming you will test on game day, but do you test every day, every other day, every two or three days? We just don't know. But uh, hopefully uh, these these teams and these conferences that are elected to play, hopefully they'll have every uh, every scenario played out, Have they have a plan in place. Because if they don't, it's going to be a, a, a much this is going to be a much. How can I put this? It's going. To, it's going to be a bigger mess than it already is right now. To even try to get it started. Well, yeah. I mean, you saw. Look, I mean, there have been a couple of games. I know. Um, Central Arkansas. Uh, Scotty Pippen's all alma mater. Central Arkansas. They played Austin P. And I think Central Arkansas won that game. And actually, it actually ended up ended up being a pretty good game. It was nice to see college football, but I, I, like I like we've been saying, said I don't know if they'll be able to what's it going to be sort of the vernacular here? Will it take, you know, a massive outbreak? Like you're, you're seeing it in Auburn right now, you know, yeah. 18 mm -hmm. guys, 18 players, you know, testing positive. Will, will it take somebody dying or near death to, for someone to say, you know what, maybe this isn't a good idea. And I know they're talking about regionally. And we, we talked about it on Friday, Sid, about the Big Ten wanting to um, perhaps maybe doing the restart around Thanksgiving. I'm not hearing the Pac-12 say anything like that. I mean, Larry Scott said, no, no, we're not, we're not doing that. So it, it's all sort of like, it's all all over the place. And this is what happens when you have, you don't have strong leadership and you don't have uniformity. Uh, you let these conferences do whatever they want to. And, and you see they're running around like they're chickens with their heads cut off. And yeah. And also statewide, so state by state, I mean, Yes, there's mm -hmm. going to be some states that are probably going to have people there. There's going to be some states that are not going to have folks in the stands at all. I know going back to the NFL, the Bears have, have said they're not going to have fans in the stands. I just saw um, Bank of America Stadium, which is in which is in uh, Carolina, the Panthers. They're not going to mm -hmm. have players. and I mean, fans not going to have fans in their stands. So I don't know, Sid. I mean, I think if, if you had to choose between which – which sort of which uh, teams or which sort of size we will that will be able to have their seasons go off without a hitch? The NFL or college football? Who would you bet right now? I think the NFL. I think the NFL. Sorry about that. I think the NFL will have a better chance to finish out their season because, of course, they make about nineteen billion dollars a year, so they can afford the testing 
uh, uh, taking care of their players. And you haven't really had a mini outbreak, thank goodness, yet. You have more players being injured uh, related to football than COVID. And the only controversy that they had was those false tests, which we talked about on our last podcast last week. So hopefully if the NFL can let it stay that way and not, not have a major outbreak, I think they will finish their season. College football, it just doesn't seem like the powers that be handing out these conferences know what they're doing because they don't know what they're doing. And it's like they're trying to scramble off to, to say, well, let's just push through it to see. Let's get in and get out. And whatever happens, happens. And you just can't operate big business that way because going back to college, these these players are not unionized, unfortunately. And number two, you are really putting their lives in danger. I know the big paycheck at the end is the prize for these universities now since they're losing money due to this pandemic. But you, you're going to put young players, young lives at risk, which you really don't care for if they didn't play sports. You're going to put their lives on the line like that without really a strong contingent plan? I, I, I just don't see it as a really – blurry picture of your college football. And I'm, I'm right there with you. I think the NFL, like you said, they have the money, they have the resources, and if, God forbid, mm-hmm. there's an outbreak, those projects expand the rosters, among other things. And mm-hmm. to the college hoops folks' credit, they're already having, like, plans in place. So they're sort of, like, starting to see, okay, okay, we may have to start a little later. We may have to, like, do some bubble for tournaments. may have two or three different sites so that we can get more teams to play. So I'm interested to see how they do now. At least they're being, unlike their their fall sports predecessors, they're actually <laughs> are being, oh, seriously, right? I mean, yeah. at least they're being proactive, which is good. We'll see. All right. Anything else? Anything else sort of college football or NFL-wise? Uh, I'm, I'm pretty much, I'm not going to say done for this, only for this episode, but I'm really looking forward to the Sox and Twins this week, uh, a big, important series for the White Sox. Let's see if they can perhaps build on their lead in, in, in the AL Central as they face against the Minnesota Twins on the road. It's, it's going to be a three-team race between themselves, the Twins, and the Indians. I'm not counting Cleveland out yet, even though they traded Mike Clemenger today. So uh, it's going to be fun. Let's see if the Cubs can uh, build on that on that central lead, as you mentioned, looking they face Pittsburgh this week before that big five-game series against St. Louis. So uh, an important week for both of our uh, baseball teams. And for the Bears, two weeks away until their season opening against Detroit. It should be interesting. Well, before we go, I did see a tweet from Adam Hogue of NBC Sports Chicago. Your announcing crew from Fox for the game will be Kenny Albert, Jonathan Vilma, from ESPN, who's he's signed with Fox now, and Laura Oakman, Chicago's very own, is your sideline report. Yeah, that, that's that. So they'll be your announcing crew two weeks from Sunday, September 13th, when you watch the Bears at the Lions on Fox. It'll be interesting to see where, where she'll be because I don't know what's good. They're not going to be around on the sidelines, but she look she's been mm-hmm. doing this a long time, so I'm sure yeah. she'll she'll be creative. I'm sure what what she does. That should be interesting there, and and how all and if you if you saw uh, both the NFL, uh, both Fox's you know the NFL coverage and their ESPN's college football coverage, they're gonna have like I guess all their all their reporters would be like sort of scattered all over the because uh, I'm sure they will not be allowed in this on the sidelines. I'm sure they'll if they are they're gonna be mm-hmm. they're gonna be wearing masks. So we'll be just see how all that will that all that will be set up. So. 
that should be interesting. Um, for me, I'm looking forward to that that Nuggets Jazz Game Seven. That's what I'm looking forward to. I'm super excited for that. Um, the uh, golf, Cressa um, John Rom and Dustin Johnson, who had like two great performances. Dustin Johnson had a 16 foot putt to get into the playoff, but now John Rom, who actually had a penalty, had to take a penalty. He had like a fiver on Saturday. He had a 66 foot putt. If you haven't watched it yet, I saw it live. It was insane. Uh, <laughs> it it really was. So if you haven't if you haven't watched it, check that out. Um, this was at the BMW Championship, not too far from where we are, Sid Olympia Fields. Um, mm-hmm. He was able to, you know, sink that putt, and then now he's now leading the FedEx Cup, and it's between him and Dustin Johnson. I think there are a couple other players too for the the FedEx Cup. The last event is actually going to be this week, so at the Tour Championship down in Atlanta. So it, it, listen, golf's been a lot of fun, and. Yeah, so you got the Masters coming up in a couple of months as well. You got the U.S. Open coming up too. So, it did look. I know Tiger's had had his struggles, but it's been a lot good last month for golf. Yeah, you know me. I'm a casual golf fan. When is Tiger going to play in the major? I know the Masters are coming up in early November, so that's still a few months away. But the next certain tournament he's in, hopefully he can stay healthy and make the cut, so I can watch him on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, look. If you and if you, and if you guys are not a big golf fans, watch the Tour Championship. It's going to come down to the wire for the FedEx Cup points. That ten million dollar annuity. You know, check it out. Also, and I did not know this, Sid. You know, because I, I am a big tennis fan. But the U.S. Open just started, and it's going to be very interesting because they're not going to be allowed. There's no fans going to be allowed in the stands, and you've got six of the top ten women's players are not going to be playing. Uh, Joker, uh, uh, I mean, uh, Federer and Nadal, they're not, who's the defending champion, by the, by the way, Nadal is, they're not playing the, the, the Open, so it's, it could Novak perhaps maybe seize his opportunity and say, you know what, let, let's let's do this. And also guys like TM and Medvedev, who've been close a couple of times with those guys to win to win these, uh, win the majors, now that, now that two of the top three are not there. And also Andy Murray, he's going to make his his return. So we'll see how he looks. And also Serena Williams and, you know, Madison Keys, Sloan Stevens, you know, can one of them make a move to make a, a splash over in upstate New York? Yeah. Those two ladies, young ladies that you mentioned in Madison Keys and Lindsay Sloan, I know they were rising stars about two, three years ago. I know both of them have struggled the last couple of years, but hopefully it gets an opportunity for some new stars to shine. As you mentioned, the previous stars that are not going to participate but I want to see how Madison Keynes and Lindsey Sloan will do. I know they were, as I mentioned, the, the rising stars in the women women's tennis game. But hopefully, those two, you know, one of them can take advantage right now. Yeah, her, yeah, Madison Keynes, Sloan Stevens. I mean, they they were they played against each other for a couple years ago for the title. Like mm-hmm. I said, they've had their issues with like injuries and such. So hopefully, they can kind of get back. Also, Coco Golf too. Don't forget about her. Yeah, yeah. And also, you know, how are the players going to react not having fans in the stands because? that's part of the U.S. Open sort of, you know, camaraderie is the fact that you have all those fans in the stands. You're not going to have that this year. So we just see how, who, how can this be adjusted? I remember um, I was hearing uh, John McEnroe and uh, Chrissy Ever, both former U.S. Open champions, multiple time U.S. Open champions. Um, McEnroe's from the area. And McEnroe said that he would have gone bananas if he didn't have to, he couldn't play in front of fans. Chrissy's, <laughs> Chrissy would have been cool with it. She said, hey, you know, it's okay. I don't care as long as I get the chance to play. So 
especially since a lot of these guys have not played in six months. That's going to be the interesting part, Sid. Yeah. All right. Uh, and we would be remiss if we, we – we don't want to end on a, uh, on a sad note, but we would be remiss if we haven't mentioned also the passing of Chadwick, Chadwick Boseman. Um, was only 43, you know, from colon cancer. The fact that he was he had done like seven movies while during this battle, I know that um, someone had posted like one a snapshot of one of the last social media posts that he did before he passed. You know, he played Jackie Robinson. He played Floyd Little in the Ernie Davis story. I did not know that until someone mentioned it recently. Of course, you know, Black Panther and Thurgood Marshall. So just a, just an amazing career in such a short time. Yeah, chat with. Uh, peace and love to the chat with Bozeman uh, family. Uh, they're going through a, a tough, challenging time right now. Uh, Chadwick Bozeman should be remembered not only helping the community off screen, but on screen he played iconic roles, as you mentioned. Uh, Thurgood Marshall, Jackie Robinson, uh, 42, which is one of my new favorite movies, of course. He played James Brown. He did a heck of a job in getting on that, one of my new favorite movies. If, as I mentioned on the flip, which you can catch on War on Anchor, uh, there's, there was, there has been documentaries on James Brown, but never a, a biopic to really portray his life. And Chadwick Boseman, I thought, did a heck of a job. I haven't seen Black Panther yet. Don't at me. I'll, I'll see it eventually. <laughs> but I know there's an iconic movie as well. So uh, uh, his work will outlast time. He it will outlast all of us. But uh, this is what I want to uh, uh, address. Not just, I'm not just speaking to myself, but to everybody. Please take care of yourself uh, by being healthy. Go get, go to the doctor and get, get yourself checked out. Uh, because I say this all the time: you can have all the money in the world, but if your health is is not in check, the the, the money that you have doesn't mean it. It doesn't mean a damn thing. So we all should just take care of ourselves, not only physically but mentally as well. Couldn't have said it better, Sid. I mean, you, you look at him and you see like, wow, how you know, thir- he was only thirty-nine. He's a he's about he was about our age, Sid, when he found out he had mm-hmm. colon cancer. And and, yeah. and, and and kudos to his people for not ha- letting it leak, because I'm sure, especially in this day and age, the fact that they were able to keep this, you know, sort of like yeah. you know, close to the vest, and we didn't find out till like after, unfortunately, he passed. I mean, kudos to kudos to his people. I mean, I'm sure only like family and really close friends. You look at Ryan Cooler, who's a director, also directed among the films he directed was Black Panther. He said he wrote a mm-hmm. really nice long piece for one of the trades. I forgot which one. I think for Variety or I think it was maybe the Hollywood Reporter saying that he didn't know, and they've been friends a long time. So mm-hmm. you never know what goes on behind the scenes, people. So be be nice to people, and you know, I mean, because you never know what's going on with them behind the scenes. Yeah. Uh, that should be a rule of like treat others the way you want to be treated because you don't know uh, what other people are going through. Just uh, a, a genuine smile or a good morning, a good afternoon, or just a, a genuine hello. You never know what that other person is going through. And you just might have made their day. You just don't know. Yeah, try to bring a smile to somebody. And I know I know it's hard right now with everything going on, but you know, just mm-hmm. you know, a, a kind a kind word, a kind thought to somebody motivational quotes you know you never know you might just you may just brighten someone's day all right mm-hmm. looking to see if there's any sort of like trades um coming down the pike you still got we got about like a little over a little over an hour left do you, do you see the Cubs or White Sox making any sort of big moves I don't think so I think if it was a regular 162 game season there'll probably be more urgency but 
uh, the way that the season is in the sprint, I, I don't see uh, either the Cubs or the Sides making a major move. Maybe a minor move or two, maybe, but a major move, I just don't see it. But if they if they do, we'll talk about it on our next podcast. Yes, we will. So, yeah, so we'll see if there's any more moves. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm looking forward to that Nuggets Jazz Game 7. I think that's going to be, like I said, I think it's going to be a very entertaining. Who do you have winning that series? I'm cheering for Denver. I think I had Denver winning that series anyway, so I'm cheering for Denver. Let's see if Jamal Murray can come up big one more time and who's going to help him out scoring rise. Yeah, he needs help. He needs help. I mean, yes. I, know, I know he's been shooting lights out, but I think he needs someone to help him. I mean, you know, Millsap, I know you're getting up there in age, but, you know, <laughs> help him out. Jurgic, come on. Yeah. Help him, Norkic. I mean, come on now, help help the guy out. So, yeah. Also, do you think Houston? Do you do you think Houston finished up to with the Thunder? Yeah, unfortunately, even I'm cheering for OKC. I think Houston will get him. All right. So on that note, we want to, we, you know, look, listen. We we came, you know, we started on a very like somber note. We want to end on a positive mm-hmm. one. So, of course, of course. Um, yeah, so look, yeah, the, the Kamara stuff I think it still kind of threw has thrown me off a bit because, you know, now you choose a time to make <laughs> to yeah. make a like a big stick about your contract. <laughs> Not a good look for him. No, we'll see how that situation uh, play itself out as we get closer to the start of the regular season. Real quick, Fournette to the Bears, you think? Oh, repeat that again and hear the last part. Fournette to the Bears. Do you, do, you, do you think that happens? I'm gonna say no. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, they're they're. I think they're. I think the Bears have other needs that they need to address, and your quarterback especially. And plus, I wouldn't be surprised if he's going to the contender because that's what I'm sure that's where he wants to do. He'll be uh, cheap, so you're it's a ritual, mm-hmm. you know, lowest high reward. So, on that note, you can follow me at Keena McGee on Twitter at Keena underscore McGee on the Instagram. You can follow yours truly at SidKid80 on the Instagram and Twitter. Once again, at SidKid80. That's S-I-D-K-I-D-8-0. That's S-I-D-K-I-D-8-0. You can read off my articles at RealRegalRadio.com. That's W-E-A-R-E-R-E-G-A-L-Radio.com. And you can listen to this wonderful program, Second City Sports, along with all of our other hot programming from We Are Regal Radio. That's War on Anchor on that's War on Anchor, which kicks you over to Spotify and all your other podcast uh, download platforms, wherever you download your podcast. We on iHeartRadio. Please, please, please download the iHeartRadio app. Just search for War on Anchor. That's W-A-R-R on Anchor. Just type it in the search engine box on your iHeartRadio app. And voila, there we are <laughs> with Second City Sports, along with the Dean Davis Show, a.k.a. the Davis Show for now. Also in the scope with Josh Hicks and Cal Means has a program with all the other writers from the website as well. So please check it out and download the podcast. Also, you can check us all out on YouTube too. You can see the visuals of us, of all the shows that Sid just mentioned. Yay! Exactly. <laughs> just go on War on Anchor. Just put that in the search box. You get all the videos come out. All of our shows, since we've do, been doing this, are on there. All the other shows Sid just mentioned. So, Look at our, so you look at our lovely faces. So uh, check it out and subscribe and tell your friends. Yes, please share the video and get the likes up. Get them up, get them up, get them up. Absolutely. So you know, hopefully Jason will join us on Friday. Well, I'm sure we'll have some great people on on Friday and over the next few weeks as we start getting into like 
sort of really get into the NFL season. A lot of good stuff coming up, so I'm excited. Yes, and football will be here before you know it, even though we're in a different uh, space, but it should be fun. And NFL usually brings people together. I'm looking forward to it. And we'll and we're gonna look forward to talking about it. So for Sid, I'm the Kansas with Sexy Sports Zoom style, and we'll see you Friday. Till next time. Holla! <laughs>